Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about the power of listening to your inner wisdom, how to connect to the power of your heart. My first guest today is Howard Martin. He is the original leader, or one of the original leaders who helped Doc Childre found HeartMath and has been with the organization since its inception in the early 1990s. In 1999, he co-authored with Doc Childre, The Heart Math Solution, published by Harper San Francisco, considered to be a classic and the definitive work on the intelligence of the heart. And the book we're also talking about is The Heart Math Solution, the Institute of Heart Math's revolutionary program for engaging the power of the heart's intelligence. Welcome back to the show, Howard. Thanks for joining us. Lisa, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope we have a wonderful conversation today that all the people that are listening from around the world will gain something from. Well, that's what we hope. Let's talk about what the heck heart math is, because there are some people who say, you know, I think I've heard about that. What is that? Well, first of all, it's the name of our organizations. We have a for-profit HeartMath, Inc., and we have the nonprofit HeartMath Institute. And basically, these organizations are designed to create and then deploy a system of tools, techniques, technology, methods, all underpinned with scientific research, designed to help people you know, empower themselves, really, and, and go through these changing times with more poise and more grace. So we do this in a variety of ways, through training programs, through, again, the technology that we've developed, through all kinds of media that we do. It just goes on and on and on. And I'm really happy to say that, you know, we started out with not knowing where this would go many, many years ago. And today we're what I call a big little organization. We have a lot of people working here. We have a huge footprint in the world. It goes all over the world. And there have been millions and millions of lives that have been touched by heart math in meaningful ways in all kinds of societal segments. So it's been a fun ride for me having been here since the beginning and the venture continues. And when we talk about the wisdom of the heart, really what we're talking about is what? Well, think about it. You know, there's times in your life when you felt a, you know, a solidness in yourself, a sense of self-security, a sense that you can do things that maybe you thought you couldn't. There's been times in your life when you felt an intuitive nudge uh, to do something or not do something or inner prompt things that you get about changes that you need to make in your life, those kind of things. Uh, Certainly, uh, there are emotions that we felt that have been long associated with this concept of heart, like when we feel more care or more love, or especially in these times, more compassion for what people are going through. All those sort of add up to this wisdom that you you talk about in your heart 
imparts wisdom. We call it hard intelligence, an actual innate intelligence that we're all born with, that we have inside ourselves, that is essential for living meaningful lives. We lose contact with it. I know people listening now saying, wow, I feel shut off from my heart, or I feel like my heart's been broken, and those are all natural things that we will experience in life. My true belief is, is that heart is always there. It never really goes away. We go away from it, but the journey back home to finding that connection to that core intelligence we have inside ourselves can be easier than people think, and that's kind of what we try to do here at HeartMath is help people reconnect with all of that. And when we talk about core intelligence, we're really talking about trusting our gut, trusting the inner guide, our intuition, the uh, ability to sense things without rhyme or reason that bypasses thinking channels and goes right to the core, right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, sometimes it's called a gut feeling. I was asked on another show recently, um, you know, is this gut feeling? And my answer to it was, as I think that's a term people use, but I think what they're really talking about is a connection to the heart. And it does manifest in a form of intuition that you just described very well, Lisa, which is direct knowingness. When we have these feelings inside, it, it bypasses all. In these cases, all the logical linear back and forth that we often use and often need to use to arrive at an understanding, we just know. It's a solid feeling inside. It often manifests more in feeling than it does in thought. The thoughts follow later, but it's that sense that we get. I mean, you know, it's like, do we eat that second piece of cake? I mean, <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, uh, and yes and no. So the you know the heart's promptings are always there, and they do show up a lot of times in that form of intuition that's uh, more direct in in reaching an understanding. Well, I would say the desire for the second piece of cake is not necessarily heart wisdom. That's that's desire, right? Well, it's also true. That's when the heart steps in and goes, really, do you need this second piece Ha-ha, of cake or not? There we go. You know, there's your intuition right there. You know? Right, right. And what about the, the proof of this existence? Because you are also a research-based organization. Not only are you espousing these theories, but you have been able to prove them. Yeah, when we started HeartMath, we were introducing a heart-based system into a relatively heartless world. We realized heart had been talked about for a long time in a lot of different ways and usually very, very good ways, but yet it wasn't being adopted in ordinary living the way that we thought it could. We needed to build a bridge to give people that solid understanding and to give belief in something that they have inside. And we chose science to be the bridge because in our society today, in, in 21st century living, science carries a lot of weight when something is proven through science to be empirically true, it increases the power of belief. So mm-hmm. yeah, we underpin what we do with science. We've broken this down into understanding the physical heart in new ways. We've really recast physical heart in a way that shows that it's more than a blood pump. It's actually an information processing center in the body. And the signals that the heart gives off are multidimensional. They are, and they do it, you know, at physiological level in four ways. Nervous system that exists in the heart that communicates with the brain, uh, changes in what's called a blood pressure wave, hormones produced by the heart to give a biochemical communication, and lastly, an energetic one, which relates a lot to the spiritual heart. Most people don't know this, but the heart produces a lot of electricity. It's the strongest source of bioelectricity that we have. This electrical energy goes to every single cell in our bodies, but where it gets really cool is that it actually creates an electromagnetic field that surrounds us in 360 degrees and extends beyond our skin out into space about three to four feet. So we all wow. producing, we're producing this field, right? I did and not know that. Yeah, and it gets even cooler because then – 
you know, that field changes, you know, the, the information in the field, the frequencies in the field are always modulating and changing. And what we found was, is that the primary influencer of what's in that field is our emotions, what we're feeling. If you're feeling frustrated and angry, that field is very chaotic. If you're feeling love, kind, appreciative, compassionate, that field is very ordered. So in a sense, we're literally broadcasting our emotions through this electromagnetic field produced by the heart. And it can be measured. It definitely can be measured, you know, three to four feet outside the body, and then you can analyze the frequencies in the field. Now, some things that are less measurable, but areas where our research is going is looking at the field beyond just this, you know, electromagnetic field. I mean, this field that we're measuring in is is being measured with very traditional research equipment called magnetrometers. But let's just take a look at for a second, or at least imagine for a second, that we remove the boundaries of time and space. We approach this thing through quantum physics. Like, how far does this heart field really go from that perspective? What does it connect us to? We know that all the Living systems are connected through a vast web of energetic connections. My belief is that the heart is our primary connector to so much other uh, that life is, you know, to other people, other situations, to groups, to plants, to animals, and to things beyond our own planet. It, it's really interesting to ponder all that when we understand that we are producing a field, the very core of who we are at the level of our heart. I want to just mention one thing that when you first described this to me, I think about aura, but we're not talking about aura. This is not about being able to photograph color. This is about being able to measure electricity. That's correct. At the electromagnetic level, we're not talking about an aura and we're not talking about subtle energy. I don't discount the existence of those, but that's not what we're measuring here. One of the things that I love about how our researchers approached all this is they didn't go to the phenomenal yeah. early in the process. They built this on a solid research footing. And they built it step by step. And that's why we were able to do trainings in places that people wouldn't suspect that you could put in heart-based training. We train in all four branches of the U.S. military. We have alliances with major universities around the country. The biggest training market for us today is actually healthcare institutions, large healthcare institutions, hospital systems where we're training nurses. It goes on and on in that regard. And we would never be there if we'd approach this like through the view of you have an aura. You know, right, right, right. You know, it just wouldn't happen, you know. This is not a woo-woo thing. I think this is where, where I'm really going with this. This idea about tapping into the heart's wisdom to make us better partners, better parents, better better people, better community members, better performers, better workers. It is possible to apply this up and down. That's right. And there's a an in-house heart math term. I'll share it with you and the listeners now. It, it's a term where we try to bring things from sky to street. Yes. <laughs> Bringing the heart from the sky to the street and the street to the sky and meeting in the middle. That's exactly right. And we try to approach it exactly that way. We start in the middle, but we don't go too far down or too far up in the beginning, but we can expand to either direction because we come right at it through going down the middle. Do you have some techniques that you can share with the audience that allows us to increase our heart intelligence? Nah, I don't think so. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course we do. There's a whole suite of tools, techniques, and all of that in the heart mass system in the training program, certification programs that we do. The one that works best on a program like yours today is a very simple technique because it's easy to explain. And it's easy for people to do right now in the moment, and it doesn't take a lot of time. And I know we have airtime considerations here on a program like yours. It's called quick coherence. And let me share the three steps with everyone. Uh, first thing I'd like everyone to do that's listening now, if you can, is to focus your tension right in the area in the center of your chest, the area of the heart. Just feel your tension go down there, right to the area in the center of your chest. If it helps you, put your hand there to draw your attention to that area. Now, with your focus there, I want you to breathe naturally and normally, but breathe deeply. A nice, steady, flowing, deep rhythm coming in and out. And as you breathe, Take it a step further. I want you to imagine as if your breath is flowing in and out through the area of the heart, right through the center of your chest. It's called heart-focused breathing. You're breathing in now, breathing out right through the area in the center of your chest. Continue to do that. Let's take it to step three. This is where the, the, the real transformation begins to occur. I'd like you to try to experience a regenerative, uplifting emotion. And let me help you with that because it can be hard for people at times, but it's in there. Don't worry. It's there. Maybe appreciate some of the good things in your life right now. Like life is tough, but there's always things about life that we can all appreciate. Just try to feel that feeling of gratitude or appreciation right now for the good things in your life. If that's hard, maybe try to feel the love or care you have for someone or something in your life. Maybe it's your pet, maybe it's your child, maybe it's your grandchild, maybe it's a close friend or a mentor, or maybe it's a special place you go to at times where you really feel connected. Maybe it's in nature somewhere. And just try to re-experience that feeling right now as you do that heart-focused breathing. Continue with that. Let me explain to you what's happening in your body right now as you do this. It's synchronizing an important part of your nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. That synchronization is triggering hormones in your body that regenerates you, like the anti-aging hormone DHEA or the regenerative hormone oxytocin. They're increasing right now as you do this. The signals that go from the heart back to brain are opening up the higher perceptual centers in your brain, giving you more access to your full intelligence capacity. You're imprinting the heart's field with that type of emotional energy. And as that goes out, it begins to magnetize and draw back to you more of the same and more fulfilling experiences. It's opening you up to more intuition. The intuitional field of information becomes more readily available. And as a result, you feel better. Stress levels go down. Awareness increases. Your ability to feel connected to wherever you are and whoever you're with is enhanced. And all that is happening by just doing those three steps. And I'll give you them again. Heart focus, heart focus breathing, and then the activation of a heart feeling. We're going to take that break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Howard Martin. To learn more about HeartMath, please visit www.heartmath.com, on Twitter at HeartMath, and on Facebook, HeartMath. The book we're talking about today is The HeartMath Solution, the Institute of HeartMath's revolutionary program, for engaging the power of the heart's intelligence. Here comes the break. 
To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this episode. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about our human hearts, for God's sakes. I'm here today with Howard Martin. He is one of the original leaders of HeartMath. We're talking about the HeartMath Solution, the Institute of HeartMath's revolutionary program for engaging the power of the heart's intelligence. Howard, you took us through a very simple exercise to bring us in greater connection with our heart center, to access that intuitive space, that more kind, loving, balanced space. And you mentioned something through that exercise about being able to connect with whoever we are with through a process like this. And I think this is really valuable because in the climate that we're living in today, where there's an us versus them mentality, this approach turns it on its end. Well, thanks. I agree. I think it's an important subject. We're living in a world today where we're seeing a big momentum of, of people wanting to come together and wanting to create more harmony and wanting to create connection. And at the same time, we're in a polarized place in the society today where there's a lot of separation showing up. You know, I think the bridge between those is actually at the at the level of the heart. So I think the first approach we need to take to connecting more with who we're with is to first of all make sure we're connected to ourselves mm. let's think yeah. up with yeah, within ourselves if i'm all stressed out and running around in a bad mood i'm not connected with anybody in my space you know <laughs> so it needs oh, to so be, true so it'd be self-responsibility first let me get howard straightened out here and then let's see what there is to connect with well activate more of the qualities of the heart leads to things like um well less judgment at least an attitude of being less judgmental about things. Certainly, you don't have to agree with people or like everybody you're with. And, you know, we're going to resonate differently with different people. That's part of life. But I think one of the aspects of the heart and the intelligence of the heart, it gives us the ability to be more neutral about all of that. Neutral is not this boring place, Lisa. It's this place where we're observing, but yet not deciding. You know, uh, it's where we're not forming opinions so quickly. It's where we're not assigning a lot of extra emotional significance to what we're perceiving and seeing. So non-judgment opens the door for connection. I'll, I'll give you a quick story about non-judgment. Just an example. There are many I could give, but I'll give you one. Many, many years ago, I'm delivering a training program at a military base in Texas. And in that program, there's a guy who's sitting there, and I noticed in the program that he's not participating. The guy is not opening his guidebook. He's not looking at me. He's not you know, doing anything related to being a part of that training program. And it bothered me. And I started judging this guy. And I figured, you know, this guy's, you know, he's not in uniform, so he's but he's probably former military, some you know hard military dude. He's not going to accept this heart message. On a break, the commanding officer came in and asked me how it was going, and I unloaded on him. And I said, it's going great except for this one guy who's not playing the game. He asked me to point him out. When I did, he says, well, here, let me tell you something. Here's why he's not opening his guidebook. He's one of our counselors, one of our very best counselors here on the base, but he's legally blind. <laughs> 
<laughs> so there you have assumptions being made, judgments being applied to this guy. So I felt, you know, I didn't feel good about that. So I decided to go over and walk over to him and, and engage him. And he said the most heartful things to me, something like, young man, I want you to understand what you're doing is important. Please keep doing your work. The world needs this, the whole thing, you know. <laughs> and, wow. And that was his inner experience, but yet he was not open to his God because he was blind. So when we observe behaviors of others and we begin to judge those behaviors rather harshly, we don't know the backstory. Yeah. We don't know why they're acting that way or looking that way. And then when we get to more neutral places in that, you know, it opens the door for us to be able to see people through the eyes more of appreciation rather than through the lens of what they aren't, right? And so as we cultivate that, it doesn't mean we walk around liking everybody or liking every situation that we're in or liking, you know, a lot of things like that. But what it does is it opens up and gives us a higher, let's put it, ratio of opportunity to where we do connect. And we put that put that out. We find that there's some wonderful, beautiful things in just about everybody, you know, that we can learn to connect with. So it does start with us. I'll recap now. It starts with me being you know, more in sync with me and then opening my heart a little bit, saying, let me appreciate what's going on here. Let me see if I can find something to appreciate about this person or these people that I'm with. If I don't find a lot of that and they're still irritating me, then I at least try to go to neutral. And recognize that, yeah, they're doing what they do, but I don't have to add significance to that. I don't have to, you know, make, you know, a big deal out of that. I'll save myself from that and let them, you know, go through whatever process they got to go through there. That's the dignity of their process. Well said. I love that term. And then so as you do that more, then what you find is the connections start to happen. And then you begin to really resonate with people. Another example that I have for this is that, you know, I travel internationally a lot to speak. And so in many cases, I'm in a country where, you know, English is not the, the first language. That's for sure. And for in many cases, it's not even the second language. And yet I have these wonderful, beautiful, heart-connected experiences at times with people. And we're not able to communicate in the same language. It's simple the way in which we are approaching each other. It's the body language. It's the looks. It's the energy we're putting out of respect and consideration for the other people. And out of that, I've had some wonderful experiences. And how we show up. I think, you know, if you're right, like if, if, okay, we're not speaking the same tongue, but how are we showing up? That's right. And they get it. I mean, if I'm putting out some respect for them, let's say it's a bellman at a hotel and, you know, and I'm showing this guy some respect rather than go get my bag. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. He picks up on that. And there's a connection to that. Yes. And this connection or, or this wave, this heart wave, right, going back to the electromagnetic field that the heart is giving off, permeates everything that we do. We can be the most efficient person at our jobs or at anything that we do. But if, if there's no love there, people know it. That's right. Well, let's widen it out then. If you want to go there, it's like, let's create it. We create an energetic field environment. Yeah. <laughs> and we have some control over that energetic field environment. Yeah, we're in, an, we're in other energetic field environments. But we have choices we can make there about how we're going to be. And as we do that, we are able to actually influence that what we'll call energetic field environment in ways that engender more harmony and more cooperation. And it's just an act of, of service and a certain way to do that. But we get great feedback from it because then life gets easier for us. So we learned to, to recognize we're in energetic field environments, that we have our own energetic field environment. First responsibility is to maintain our own 
used the word dignity earlier, which I like, our own dignity in the process of wherever we are, and then put that love and that care out a little bit from the heart and see what happens. See if, if it doesn't help the overall energetic field environment that we're in. As we do that, connections increase. It's interesting that you mentioned this, and we talk about how it, it, it scales up and out into the world. Harvesting happiness is made up by a, a virtual team. We have a lot of young adults that work on this project. And I was thinking the other night that we have a team member in India, and I'm going to kind of date stamp uh, where we're at because there's been strife between Pakistan and India recently. Another one of our team members is from Venezuela. And they're in their 20s, both of these team members, and they're very anxious. They're very worried about their survival in this moment. And we communicate almost every day. And they asked me what they should do. And I said, you should. I mean, this is going to sound very trite, but I said, you should meditate and worry about taking care of yourself because then you will put out energy that will affect your little corner of the world. And that's where you'll regain your control. Well, first of all, I assume that you know your staff listens to these programs. So yes. let, me, let, let me say hello, staff members that are going through these challenging times. My heart goes out to you. My compassionate care goes to you in the situations that you're in. I also have friends in Venezuela, and I get reports from time to time about that situation that's there. And my heart goes out every time. So, yeah, recognize that you know these can be tough situations that you're in. There's a learning and a growth in that for you that you're going to come out better people in the end through going through the process. Feeling some anxiousness, feeling uh, down about it, feeling sad or depressed at times, even hopeless is all natural part of the process you're going to go through. But when you find yourself there, go have a talk with your own best friend, which is your heart. Mm. And just say, put your hand on your heart and go, okay, uh, it's not a good day for me, but I'm a good person trying to do the very best I can. And make that connection with that good part of yourself and recognize that it's all going to work out for the highest best for the whole and that you know you're going to be okay in the middle of it and find that sense of self-security and especially that self-love and that self-compassion that is not only going to help you but it is to lisa's point a higher form of service that's going to help other people in that same similar situation make those type of choices beautifully said and if you're not sitting in india or or venezuela if you're sitting in new york or north dakota or anywhere else, the same words of wisdom apply. Exactly right. You know, we're very fortunate that our, that the problems that we have are pretty much first world problems. The problems that these young adults are encountering in their mother countries that they so love and adore is very serious. It is. Everybody's going through their various forms of stress today. And, and, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, there's stress that we are going to experience from external situations, but there's also what I call, you know, self-inflicted stress. Yes. <laughs> where we're making big deals out of things we don't need to, where we're judging people, where we're irritated, where we're frustrated over the smallest things, where our sense of entitlement kicks in and we don't get what we want and we got a right to go off on all that. There's all kinds of ways in which we create stress. Yes. Uh, the external stuff's going to be there, but when we learn to, to manage our own uh, stressors in a different way, it gives us the ability to increase our resilience and then deflect some of the bigger stressors that we're going to go through as a global society. And that we're not alone. I think what we're also tapping into is that we're really not alone. 
We are not alone, and that's part of why we do energetic connectivity research. Is again using research to to make a point that people kind of get intuitively. But let's give it an empirical framework, and when we can show that everything is connected energetically, I think the punchline for me uh, is that it it's another recognition and realization of this term that we've heard a lot, which is we're not alone. But it brings substance to that term and recognizes that we are in fact never alone. Yeah. Howard, come back and hang out with me. We got so much more to talk about. I've been talking with Howard Martin today, one of the original leaders of HeartMath. The book we're talking about is The HeartMath Solution, the Institute of HeartMath's revolutionary program for engaging the power of the heart's intelligence. To learn more, please visit www.heartmath.com. On Twitter, connect at HeartMath. And on Facebook, that's HeartMath as well. We're out of time. Lisa, it's been a blast. Looking forward to the next time. Me too. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. And follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness. If you're just joining us now, we're continuing our conversation about listening to our inner wisdom, how to connect with the power of our own hearts. My next guest has written a book exploring just that from a very heart-centered and emotional place. My guest is Lee McCormick. He is the founder of the Recovery Ranch Center in Nunnally, Tennessee, and I hope I pronounced that right, and he'll correct me, as well as the Canyon Treatment Center in Malibu, California. He is also co-founder of Nashville's Integrative Life Center, an IOP and PHP community recovery program also in Nashville, Tennessee. Through the organization of Spirit Recovery, Inc., McCormick facilitates the production of healing and recovery conferences and spiritual journeys around the world. And he's here with me today in the house. Hi, Lee. Hey, Lisa. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Yeah, you bet. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Me too. What I love about your work is the approach to recovery and healing, whether it's the recovery from substance use or the recovery from a traumatic event, is through the human heart to find our way back to our pilot lights and reignite the spirit within. Yeah, I like the way you put that. Yes, it is. It's it's about recovering balance. When we talk you know? about reawakening the wisdom of the heart and the methodology behind the book, talk a little bit about your journey that brought you to write this book. Well, my journey began like most of us that end up working in the in the healing realm. It began with my own life and my own situation. I checked myself into a treatment center 21 years ago. And that experience was really compelling to me, not so much about myself and my situation, but the realization of just how wounded and how much unaddressed stuff there is that goes on behind closed doors, you know, in all through our culture. The legacy of woundedness, the trauma, the you know, the abuse, the, the heartbreak, just the whole human legacy. 
and all the stuff that we inherit when we're born into this world and the unraveling of that. And, you know, the big question for me was, okay, wait a minute, I've defined myself by the world and by the stories and the judgments and the opinions of our culture for all of my life, never realizing that that I have an innate inherent value just by the fact that I'm here. And who am I really? What's the truth of who I am really, as opposed to living life from a place of judgment about how well am I performing based on the rules and the opinions of our culture? So, you know, it, it really brought up a big question about like, what's the point? What are we really doing here? And who and what are we really serving? And when we talk about substance use or healing from trauma, it's not really the substance use, is it? No, I mean, you know, (laughs) the way I put it, that's the invitation to the party. So, you know, when when a human being is in a pretty much in a state of disease, you're not comfortable in your own skin and your life's just not working for you, you know, there's some pain, there's something haunting you. We're not stupid. We're going to find some way to medicate that disease. And amen. (laughs) None of us likes to suffer. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, culturally, our culture is really based on any time you're uncomfortable in any way, shape or form. You do something to medicate it. You go shopping, you have a drink, you smoke a joint, you smoke a cigarette, you go eat, you work out, you get thinner, you get a new haircut, you you know, there's some external distraction or supposed external solution to all of our internal disease. And it's really kind of a perfect storm of dysfunction. So yeah, when you look at the truth of the how much heavy energy and all of the heartbreak and trauma that we inherit through this human legacy, it's no wonder that we find ways to medicate that. And that medicating becomes the presenting issue, whether, you know, it's addiction or alcoholism or an eating disorder or whatever it is. Um, And fortunately for us, our suffering, which comes to us like a curse, we feel like we're cursed with this issue. But that curse is also the gift that gets us to pay attention to our life and gets us hopefully to look for help and for support. You know, I call it a blessing curse. So nothing is one-sided in this life and in this world. So there's definitely a two-sided reality to these issues. The duality of all things. I love what you just said, the blessing curse. And I think it's true. You know, it's it becomes the invitation to transform and transcend ourselves. Yeah, it really does. For those of us that are so inspired to to ask those heart and soul centered questions of who am I really? You know, and that's part of the work that that started for me years ago when I checked myself into treatment is I'd always been my father's son. I'd always been a member of this family I grew up in in North Florida and, you know, was a pioneer family. And I was always so identified by the roles that I lived, whether I was a surfer, whether I was a musician, whether I was working as a as a cowboy, whether I was a commodities trader, um, I was completely identified by my roles and my value came from how well I performed my roles. And the truth is, that's never what I was. It's what I did. 
you know, but again, our culture doesn't teach us to realize that we have an inherent value just by the fact that that we're here. Yes, I do know what you're saying. And I want to ask about the the reawakening process, because there is a journey that you provide in the book, the Heart Reconnection Guidebook, that takes the reader on a journey to this discovery place that brings us back to ourselves or the more fully occupying our own lives. Talk a little bit about the process. It's really a process of self-discovery, of self-awareness, of the beginning of coming to terms through questioning, largely, like questioning ourselves. If I'm stuck in the pattern of my life, if I'm stuck in between the roles that I'm living and, and I just can't seem to maintain a sense of peace and calm and good enough, you know, this may or may not have anything to do with direct mental health issues or addiction issues. It's just simply being human. The invitation of the heart reconnection work is to begin to question ourselves, not from a place of judgment, but question ourselves from a place of what is really true. You know, what's true on a deeper level than just the surface of my belief system? Because we all create belief systems. We all weave together this fabric of beliefs based on experience and teachings. And then we give our faith to these beliefs that we hold. And then then once we give our faith to our beliefs, then we are vested in our beliefs needing to be right and needing to be true. So it's rare that we will sit down and really genuinely question ourselves around what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about life and the world. Because if my beliefs are not right, then I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, then I'm bad. And if, if I'm bad, then I'm not good enough, right? So just the simple idea that maybe everything I believe is not true can be overwhelming because it means the basis of my story of why I'm good enough could come completely unraveled here. And then what am I left with? Then I got nothing. You know, that's the way we look at it. Well, the truth is we have an inherent innate value and it's a gift by the nature of our being born into this world. And our heart and our spirit is the seat of our consciousness and our heart and our spirit is the seat of our value. And so it's a it's a rediscovering a relationship with ourself first. And that's what the Heart Reconnection Guidebook is, is it's a directive back to the truth of who you really are. And I want to jump in here because for some of us, we may not know. We might have been so wrapped up in doing life as it was prescribed to us by our families of origin, by society at large, that when we hit the wall, and inevitably most of us will hit that wall at some point in our lives, whether it's through substance use or a health crisis or the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or a divorce or go on and on and on because it will, life will upend us at some point and and catalyze the great self-reflection. And when we get to that point and we realize that the life that we have been living may have been a myth, that's pretty scary. Well, sure it is. Yeah, it's terrifying because (laughs) we have given our faith to the things that we were taught and the things that we believe. You know, we didn't know as little kids that what we were being taught by our parents and by our teachers and by our our pastors and our rabbis and our priests, we didn't know that what they were teaching us was just their belief system 
we, you know, we took their beliefs on as though it was absolute truth. And it wasn't absolute truth. It was what they sincerely believed. And it's not that anyone has, you know, done anything malicious here. It's that the nature of the human mind and the nature of the way we weave together these belief systems and invest our faith in them, unless we are on a regular basis questioning ourselves, we don't really sit with the opportunity to allow our heart, our spirit, our soul to sit with these agreements and these beliefs and see how they actually really feel. You know, we live so much, we live so much of our life with our attention completely hooked into our reasoning mind. Our attention lives with our mind all the time that we very rarely give any attention to the how does it feel when you're looking for an answer to something. We don't shift our attention from from the mind orientation thoughts into the body orientation as feeling. And to have a really clear answer, a really clear perspective on anything in life, unless we're sitting with these questions from our whole human being, which requires that we learn to sit with our heart and sit with our spirit in in light of the questions that we may have. Unless we're sitting with our whole self, we can't possibly be getting a balanced answer. You know, we're getting a reason-oriented answer, but that's inherently out of balance from the point of view of the true wisdom and knowledge of our connection to spirit comes through our heart and our soul. And life is not always reasonable. And I think we should put, we should also add that. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Lee McCormick and his book, The Heart Reconnection Guidebook. To learn more about Lee and his work, please visit spiritrecovery.com. On Twitter, you can connect with Lee at Lee R. McCormick 1. And on Facebook, he's Lee period McCormick or Lee dot McCormick. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. I want to just read a quote from your book, Lee. It is um, chapter two, reclaiming wholeness. You have a beautiful quote here by Rumi. The universe is not outside of you. Look inside yourself. Everything that you want, you already are. We'll be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more.
welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us now, I have the great fortune of speaking with Lee McCormick, who is the founder of Recovery Ranch Center in Tennessee. He's also one of the founders of the Canyon Treatment Center in Malibu, California. He's the author of the Heart Reconnection Guidebook. We're talking about the approach to recovery and retrieval of one's own soul and life after life throws you a curveball. Lee, as I'm reading through the book, the Heart Reconnection Guidebook, what I sense from it, it's a very earth-based approach to healing. You know, it's based in nature. It's based in connection to the rhythms of life. It is. And, you know, the point in that is that that's actually what we are in these physical bodies. You know, our physical bodies come from this earth. All the elements that make up our physical form are elements of the earth. So from a point of view, the earth is our mother collectively. You know, she provides us with everything that we need to sustain our life. Our physical form is born of her. And if we're going to bring our attention back from all the chaos and the confusion and the stories basically extract ourselves or begin to work on extracting ourselves out of the matrix that we were born into as a culture here, it really serves us to ground ourselves in the most basic elemental aspects of what we are as human beings. You know, we're, we're consciousness. We are a physical body. We have an emotional body. We have a mind and we have a spirit. And to come back and connect on a heart and soul level to the essence of what we are as human beings, it allows us to reestablish a new, clear relationship with ourself. And then from that, we can evolve and grow and address the relationships that we live outside of ourselves. It's really, as you say in recovery, it's really one step at a time. <laughs> well, that's all it ever is, right? Try as we might to uh, speed heal. It, uh, it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. You know, and, and one of the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves in all this work is, is to learn the value of really taking responsibility for what we're giving our attention to. I learned that starting years and years ago when I worked with Don Miguel Ruiz and the man that wrote the Four Agreements. And one of the foundational tenets of the old Toltec work is where's your attention? What are you feeding on? What are you giving your attention to? What are you allowing to hook your attention? And are you even conscious of the fact that you have a responsibility and the ability to direct your own attention? And through directing our attention, we make conscious choices about the quality of what we feed on. You know, the stories that we feed on, the thoughts in our own mind, the activities that are going on around us. What am I giving my attention to and how is that serving me or what is the truth of what I'm giving my attention to? What's the truth of the cause and effect of that? If I continuously allow my attention to be hooked by conflict or anger or fear or resentment, then, of course, the frequency of my thoughts, the frequency of my emotions are going to be dominated by those energetics of that fear or that conflict. And if I learn to shift my attention and learn to practice that and live that, and this is, this is in the Heart Reconnection Guidebook, then I really take responsibility for the quality of how I'm living my life moment to moment. 
Well, this is a really important point that things will happen to us as human beings. You know, bad things will happen to people. Good things will happen to people. But the relationship to the issue is the issue. And when those of us who have been through difficult situations or traumatic situations, sometimes we get into the pity party, right? We're stewing in our own juices of what was done rather than seeing that we have the ability to make a better ending out of this. Yeah, of course. And again, the way that we're domesticated in our culture is we are literally taught that we are the sum of our experiences in life. And so we take the experiences that we have personally. If you're going to believe that your value as a human being is determined by the quality of your experiences, if you have great outcomes and you win all the time and everything in life is wonderful, then you can tell the story that you know, I'm an amazing person and my life is great and life is wonderful. But then you hit a wall or some things, you know, some tragic things happen. Trauma happens. Heartbreak happens. Well, then the script flips and all of a sudden you're telling a story of life is not safe. You know, I'm a victim. The world is crazy. We go into a whole other storyline and that storyline is all about suffering and fear. Yeah. Well, we yeah. tend to perpetuate we tend to perpetuate what's familiar to us. And if we tell a story of being the victim long enough, then we identify by that energy. And we aren't supported culturally in separating who we are out from what we do. My name's Lee. I'm a human being. And the choices I make in my life are my responsibility. And the choices I make in my life do not define what I am. They define the experience that I'm having here. This also speaks to, you know, talking about Don Miguel Ruiz and the four agreements, you know, the second agreement, don't take things personally. The universe, as I experience it, is not a particularly personal place, right? It's random. Things happen. It's totally random. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) like we give too much power to the thing like, you know, that this was supposed to happen. No, no, random things happen all the time. Good, bad, indifferent. I want to talk about the path of the wheel because this really leads into, I think, the heart of the practice. Okay, cool. And experiencing this sort of earth-based process to healing. Talk a little bit about the four coordinates, what they represent, and how they can be used in the healing process. Well, the gift of using a medicine wheel You know, it was interesting because the group of us that got together in Santa Fe a few years ago that started the idea of writing the Heart Reconnection Guidebook, we all, gosh, for all the experience, I mean, there was almost 300 years experience between us, Joan Borisinko and her husband, Gordon Deveren and Mary Faulkner and Holly Cook and Gary Seidler. Just it was an amazing group of people. And all of us have had a really profound relationship with different indigenous wisdom school cultures around the world that has had a big impact on our individual lives and our individual journeys and evolution. And so the medicine wheel popped up really organically. And the truth is, when you're working with people and you're working with people living in our culture where we are so mind dominated, It serves us to create a structure and a framework that the mind can focus on. So the medicine wheel provides that structure and that framework. It's really there's multiple levels here. So when you start in the east, 
on the wheel, there are values assigned to the East. There's aspects to the East. So it's it's infancy. It's you're born into this world, you could say, in the East. And the East is also the direction of the rising sun. We say the morning star. And the East is the direction that all of our new opportunities come from. It's the direction of of light, literally light, like the light of the sun rising in the morning. And it's where we begin our journey in this human form is in the East. And so you, it could go from, from birth up until 12, 14, 15 years old. And then there's layers and layers of information in the book around this. And then you shift around to the South. The South is east is springtime, south is summertime, south is say from 14 or 15 to 25 or 30 years old. It's our young adult, our teen and young adult years. And so in each of the quadrants, in each of the four directions, there are different aspects that are natural aspects to life, that are spiritual aspects to life, and they all have relationships with different aspects of the natural world's creation which corresponds to our different aspects as human beings. In the East is our body, which is the densest aspect of us as a human being, is this manifestation that we call our physical body. When you go to the South, the next densest aspect of ourselves as human beings is our emotional body. So the South is the direction of the emotions. The frame of the wheel gives us a structure to follow, which gives our mind something to lock on to. And from that point on, once the mind is engaged, then we can step fully into the practice. If you try and get too esoteric, the mind gets bored and it's not interesting, you know? And so it's really being clever enough to hook the mind and then the heart and the spirit will show up. As you work your way around the wheel and work your way through the different aspects that are presented in the book, you naturally gravitate into a more heart-centered, grounded relationship with yourself. Yes, that's what I see is a very gentle progression of loving kindness, compassion, empathy, self-respect, self-love. And after one enters the wheel on the east, moves down to the south, and ends up in the west as the third stop, what happens in the west? Well, the West is the block of time that's really our our primary adult years, I guess you could say. Say it's from, you know, 30 or so to 50, maybe 55. I don't know. I I think I kind of went from 25 to 60. I'm still like a giant kid running around in a body that's slowing down a little bit. But, um, (laughs) you know, the West is traditionally the direction of healing in the East. The color in the East, as far as our wheel goes, because we all had so many different traditions, there is no right way in this work. There's what serves us as human beings in coming back to a heart-centered relationship to ourselves and our life. And there are many traditions, and all the traditions are right, and there is no one right way. So I I need to say that. Because a lot of people want to judge it according to the tradition that, that they have a relationship to, that... You know, the color of the East needs to be this and the spirit animal of the South needs to be that. Well, that's all great. And the point of this work is that we rediscover a deep abiding relationship to our heart and spirit. It's not about the mythologies of any particular tradition. It's about the quality 
of the reconnection to our heart again. So in the West is the healing way. The color of the West is black. And the West is that realm really of of the meeting the unknown again in your life as an adult and developing a relationship with the chaos, the heartbreak, the wounded legacy, all of the issues that you might be struggling with. And at the same time, coming to realize that if I want to sit and find a connection, a relationship to a true unraveling of all the energies that make up my suffering and my fear and, and unravel the traumas that I've lived and be able to let that energy go and free myself from the identity of being a victim. So that from, from that point forward, I'm just a human being who happens to have lived some, some pretty tragic experiences and those experiences no longer define me or my relationship to myself or the world. And so the, the West offers layers of depth and reflection and healing practices that all comes back to recovering faith in ourself again. And then leads to the North, which is the the wisdom, right? That the moral compass or the, uh, the North star, the guiding beacon, which is um, with the self and one's relationship with spirit, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And the North is the way of the elders. You know, I say in the, I've been a part of a, of sweat lodges for over 20 years. And, you know, I say when we go around to the North, that the North is the, the way of the, of the Northern lights and the Northern lights are a curtain between the worlds. If you watch the Northern lights, you can see where it literally, they look like a curtain of light. It's true. It's true. And that it's through the dimension of the Northern lights that our spirits travel out of this world. I love all the mythologies. I really love all of them. And I'm not attached to anyone in particular because it's all the way it's all the amazing nature of our our human ability to dream, you know, and and to create value and stories. They're our teachers. The stories are our teachers, right? They make sense and explanation out of what is can be considered confusion, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, in the old days, stories were told. But they weren't told in a literal sense. They were told to inspire into and to introduce value and introduce various points of view. And they really were used to initiate questions among the listeners, among the students. Then you had the opportunity to live with those questions. You know, the way we're programmed and domesticated in our culture is that if we have a question, we want an answer right now. Somebody give me the answer to this. We're, we're not taught the gift of lear- of sitting with a question, maybe for days, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, but live with that question so that more might be revealed. Yeah. We are out of time. I can't believe it. To learn more, I want to send our listeners over to the website to buy the book, The Heart Reconnection Guidebook, A Guided Journey of Personal Discovery and Self-Awareness. Um, you can go over to spiritrock.com to learn more about Lee McCormick, his work, and his uh, conferences and journeys that he offers around the world. On Twitter, he is at Lee R. McCormick 1. And on Facebook, the official page is Lee Richard McCormick. Lee, come back and hang out with me. Anytime. Oh, anytime. anytime. And the book is on Amazon. The book is also on. the Heart Reconnection Guidebooks on Amazon. Okay. And you can order it from your local bookstore. So yeah. go do business with your local bookstore. Yes. Yes. Let's plug the local bookstores. Go local. <laughs> All right. Um, Lee, thank you so much. 
Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Howard Martin and Lee McCormick, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.